Well, good morning. It's great to uh, be with you this morning on this Good Friday, uh, an Easter that's looking a little bit different to maybe Easter's we've experienced in the past, but I'm glad you can be with us wherever you're joining us from. Um, and and pretty, pretty excited this morning that not only is it Good Friday, but we're kicking off a five-part series on exploring what is the good life. And I think this is a pretty pertinent topic right now because you know life for many of us has stopped um, and it's not looking the way we've often thought it would look. So uh, we're going to explore starting today and over the next four Sundays what it means to live the good life. How, how do we step into that? What does that look like for us? So, um, you know, if you've been watching the news lately, you know, it's absolutely saturated with details around the coronavirus and um, there's a real focus on infections and deaths and, and keeping tallies of this. And uh, I, I was looking through some of that and, and was just doing a bit of research and discovered that uh, aside from this, uh, on average, there's about 150,000 people a day in our world die. Um, and so that just got me questioning, if there's that many people who die per day on average, how many people are really living? You know, not, not just enduring, not just existing, not, not just going through the motions of a, of a dead-end job in the hope for a weekend um, to do something to entertain ourselves, but actually really live. And so as I'm asking myself that question, and I want you to consider that as well, um, what does it mean to live life to the full? Now, I could probably have a picture of what that looks like for me, and that's probably different to you, and, and maybe it's different to those who live in another country, and maybe it's different to those who lived a decade or two decades or even centuries before us. But, but there's something in me that says, if a truth is a truth, then it's true for all people at all times. And, and I want to look at a truth from the Bible today about what Jesus spoke in terms of what it means to live the good life. Now, um, you know, we, we live in a postmodern culture, or even a post-postmodern culture, where truth has become relevant and truth can be whatever you decide it to be. Um, and we see evidence of that as people live their lives in the way they're choosing to live lives. And, and, but there's something in this I think it would really be um, wise for us to stop and look at what Jesus says about this, um, because he lived a life that is actually beyond compare. And so you'll see here on the screen that from John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so I want to explore that a little bit today. What does life to the full look like for us? What does scripture reveal about this? And um, how may we be fully equipped to actually live this kind of life today? So I did what most people would probably do. We went to Google and we, I typed in, what does it mean to live life to the full? And these are some of the things that came up and these might sound familiar to you. It says, living life to the full means you are happy and enjoying life. It means you are doing the best to make the most of every day. Oh, sounds nice. I don't know how, how much... Um, depth there is in that. It also said uh, it means continually reaching out for newer and richer and deeper life-changing experiences. Uh, living life to the full, in one part it said um, it means steering the rudder of your own life and taking advantage 
of your unique and powerful potential as a person. Sounds like a lot of self-help stuff that we, we can access. And there was one more that says, uh, living a full life is achieved by focusing on joy, by not limiting yourself, by following your excitement, whatever that means, by believing in yourself and by aiming high. So that, that's what the world's wisdom, in a nutshell, is saying that living life to the full looks like. Can I encourage you to read after this message or sometime today or this week to read John chapters 9 and 10. Um, this verse that we're looking at that Jesus came that we would have life and have it to the full comes from John chapter 10 but to really put it in context um, Jesus is dealing with the blindness of the religious leaders of the time. They just couldn't see him for who he was. and They wouldn't recognize him for who he truly was. And so Jesus in that context is saying to them that he has actually come that they would have a full life. And this full life is intimately connected to the image of the good shepherd that we see in these passages. And the good shepherd in scripture is related to the king. And the king who is a good shepherd, according to scripture, is related to the Messiah or the Christ. Um, and then the Messiah or the Christ is the one who will actually represent God, be God's representative in the world, and even to the point where it's God in the flesh um, coming into our world. So let's check out what John says about that, in fact, in the first chapter of John's Gospel. Starting in verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name and gave the right to become children of God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's another paraphrase that says, about that, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Then it continues, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So as we have that as a, as a basis for, for where, where we're coming from this morning, I want to focus on the idea that the good life is actually costly. And it's costly because it has great value. Anything that we can think of that is valuable or has value will cost us something. And so Jesus, as he's describing this, as we read through the Gospels, he often uses a number of phrases to describe what we're calling the good life. He, he uses the good life. He uses life in the kingdom. He calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And, and there's something about recognizing the value of being in that space, being 
um, in living in that reality that, that Jesus says is not only costly, but it's highly valuable. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 to 46. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. So we've got this picture here of if you can discover the, 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 the secret of life, what life's all about, that the good life is actually available, that, that to live into the reality of what we were actually created for and designed for is not only possible, it, it, it's an invitation we've all received, then there, there's something about the value of that that we would do anything we absolutely could to step into that. It's, we've got this picture of the, the truly flourishing life it is actually so important that we pursue it and we grab hold of it that we would give up anything to do that. And that's the picture that Jesus gives here of, of, of this pearl. You know, th this pearl that we would give up our, our wealth and our power and our fame and our pleasure and, and all those things that we chase after would actually give that up to, to take hold of and possess the very thing that Jesus is inviting us into. And, and the funny thing is, as we read through the scriptures and as we read Jesus' teaching on this, we find that when you give up those things, you actually don't miss out. You, you're actually given back a lot more, um, not, not only in this life through things that, uh, are really, that really bring contentment and fulfillment and purpose and meaning, but the promise of the eternity um, with God in, 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 a, in a world, in a life that, where all that is absolutely abundant, that, that is part of the story that we see in Scripture. So what will the good life cost you? It's a good question. So if you have a picture of the good life being, uh, it's, just all, it's all about me, it's whatever I can get it, it's me having wealth and power and pleasure and, and it's all about what I can experience, if that's your picture of the good life, it will probably cost you inner peace, it will cost you a lack of contentment, it will cost you joy, and there'll be a focus on happiness instead, and happiness is circumstantial, whereas joy goes beyond our circumstances. It will probably cost you intimacy in relationships. Maybe it will cost you your very self, just, just your, your energy, your character, your, your life. And what does it gain? Well, it can gain stuff. It can gain material stuff. Um, it can gain experiences and money and possessions, absolutely. But as I was reflecting on this, I've, uh, in a role as a pastor, you, you have the privilege at times to conduct funerals and be with families as they're farewelling someone. And, and I was just reflecting that in every funeral I've ever attended, occasionally there'll be mention of stuff. Of, of maybe a, a car or, or a boat or a house or things that somebody really enjoyed in their life. But what I always hear about at funerals, the things that we choose to remember, the things that are most important to us are the relationships and the personal characteristics of the person who, who has just passed away. They're, they're the things that we talk about. They're the things that we remember. And so it sort of makes sense to me that they're probably the most important things in life. 
Um, but for some reason, many of us can get stuck in this cycle of, of chasing things, stuff and possessions and experiences where when we break it down, we would probably say, if we're really honest, they're, they're not the most important things in life. But then if you have Jesus' picture of the good life, what will it cost you? And the answer I find in scripture is it'll actually cost you everything. Now that doesn't sound that attractive right now, but if it does cost you everything, my next question obviously then is, well, what does it gain? What do you gain from that? And I want to just look at what Jesus said in relation to this to to bring an answer from scripture. So in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 27, we read this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own, as you continually surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? It has been decreed that I, the Son of Man, will one day return with my messengers and in the splendor and majesty of my Father. And then I will reward each person according to what they have done. So so as we look at these two pictures of the good life, the picture that, that our culture and our society and our world would want to put onto us and the picture that Jesus is inviting us into, they actually sit in opposition to one another. There's one where it's all about me, and you can see on, on, the, on the screen now this thing that sometimes that's celebrated in our life, that in our culture, that it's all about me. It's what I can get. It's, um, it's, a, it's about putting others down so I can get ahead. And what I've noticed when we, when we live life like that, um, is that when life is all about me and I'm at the center of everything, it actually makes my life smaller and diminishes my life. Um, If my life is about others, then then the world really opens up to me. But if my life is all about me and I'm internally looking and and everything's about turning things back onto me and my wants and desires and and, and likes, then, then what I find is that my world just really shrinks. And when my world is, sh- is shrunken like that, um, we've got to ask ourselves, is that, is that really the kind of life we were designed to live? And what happens also when we start living like that is, is we want to then start comparing ourselves to others because if I'm building up my own kingdom and my own empire and my own everything that I can think of, then, then I want to compare that against someone else's to see if I'm doing okay and I get a little sense of self-esteem or, or worth out of comparing myself to others. But if I look at the evidence and I'm actually honest with myself and we're honest with ourselves, I need to ask myself the question, is the life I'm leading helping me to become more of those things that we've just 
spoken about that we say are actually truly important. Those things to do with my character, those things to do with, with the essence of who I truly am. Is the life I'm leading helping me become more content and more joyful and more peaceful and more generous and compassionate and kind and caring and loving? There's a whole range of things we could, we could list there because they're the things we say truly matter. And so we've got to ask ourselves, is the life that I'm choosing to live right now helping me grow and develop in those areas? You know, to follow Jesus, the one who, as we just read in the first chapter of John's gospel, the one who is God himself and created everything. If we are to follow Jesus, the one who created us, the one who knows us best, the one who knows what is best for us, the one who actually lived as one of us, lived as a human and lived in a beautiful way that is, that is actually really attractive when you look at the life of Jesus. If we are to follow him, then by definition, we're actually going against the way that the world would suggest for us to live. It's countercultural. And what we'll find as we go through the scriptures and we, and we look at the life of Jesus, he lived a countercultural life in, in basically everything he did. And when he lived that out and it was visible to others, others were so attracted to it. He literally at times had thousands and thousands of people following him and hanging off his every word because there was something about what he said and what he did and what he practiced that was really attractive to people. So when we look at this, we can see that people, it's easy when, when we recognize this in ourselves that, that um, there's this sense that we, we would need to break away from this inner looking, this selfish, this me-centered life. And if our focus then moves on to caring for those who are around us, in this countercultural way, we actually discover that there is a sense of fulfillment and purpose um, and, and, and contentment that comes by actually putting others before ourselves. We saw Jesus model it. We saw Jesus teach it. And if Jesus truly does know what is best for us, can I suggest that if we step into even trying this, I think we'll discover a secret to what, what truly living life is all about. Life's meaning is not actually about getting more and more stuff. It's actually about giving more, giving ourselves for the sake of others. In the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' uh, most famous teachings, in the middle of this, he, he speaks to this issue of, of the things that really grab hold of our heart and our imagination. Um, and in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, look at what it says. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon, you can see on the screen, is actually an Aramaic word, the language that Jesus would have spoke when he was on the earth. And it refers to, to riches and money and possessions and property or basically anything in which we attempted to place our security, our identity or our confidence. And, and Jesus is saying to us through these passages that, that no, the, the best way for you to live, the good life, 
the life that works well is one where we actually come to God through the person of Jesus for those things, our security, our identity and our confidence. They can't be found in possessions and things that we accumulate. So on this Good Friday, when we're talking about the cost involved in in stepping into the good life, we need to realise that that Good Friday was extremely costly to Jesus. The the, the cost that he paid um, on the Good Friday when he was crucified on the cross is a price that that nothing can surpass. And and as we explore that, just to finish, I want to... I wanted to bring your attention to a passage from Philippians, um, Philippians chapter 2, where as I read through this, and you'll see it on the screen, I just want you to, to think of what it's saying here in terms of what it cost Jesus. Jesus being part of the Trinity, part of the triune God who has always existed and always will exist in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, for, for Jesus to be separated from that to come into his own creation, the cost involved, and then the outcome of that. So let's look at that together. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, Paul writes this, he says, Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. But because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honoured him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honour of God the Father. Isn't that a wonderful just description of the overall picture that, that Jesus, God himself, stepped into his own creation and he stepped into his own creation in this humble way that just, you know, when we read the story of of being born in a stable in a backwoods town in in Galilee, that that there's there's just no fanfare, there's no recognition of him truly being the majestic, awesome God that he is. And he lived this humble life, obedient to what God had called him to do, living his life for the sake of others and giving up his life in a most horrific way which is what we celebrate. And it's funny, we use that word celebrate. It's what we celebrate on Good Friday, that Jesus willingly gave up his life for your sake and for my sake. 
so that we can actually enter the kind of life that not only he modelled, but the kind of life he's invited us into and the kind of life that he knows is the best thing for us. And we see this picture and, we, and, we, and I think it just makes us stop a little bit and really think about what did Jesus go through for you and for me? What did he position himself to experience and, and to endure for your sake and for my sake? See, Jesus knew that a life where it's others focused is actually the best kind of life to live. He modeled that for us. And it's actually the kind of life we were designed for. It not only provides us with purpose and meaning and fulfillment and contentment and peace and joy, all these things that we strive and, and chase after in other ways, but it's a, it's a kind of life that's rewarded by God. And it's rewarded by God in terms of giving up our lives for the sake of others because we become like the person of Jesus and we become more and more like the character of God because that's God's nature, to give himself for the sake of others. And so when Jesus told his disciples all these things and lived this out and then put them into practice, particularly on Good Friday, nearly 2,000 years ago when that took place, he's now inviting us to say, this is, this is actually what life's about. It's about living for the sake of others. It's about putting others first. It's about giving up your own life um, for the benefit of those around you. And by doing that, you'll actually find that life not only works well, but there is all those things we're looking for, the contentment and the peace and the fulfillment and the purpose. As Jesus was heading towards his crucifixion, he was with his disciples and there was this moment when his disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I want to just finish with this passage out of Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. And so the disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest, who's going to have the most recognition, who, who's going to be the top dog. And we read this, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to his side and he said, Kings and those with great authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others because the greatest honour and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. And as... as as I wrap up, as we, as we consider what it might mean for us to step into the good life, and we're doing this on Good Friday, the, the day where we remember what Jesus did and what Jesus sacrificed for you and for me, then there's something in this that, that, that the model he displayed, the life he lived, the example he gave, that the teaching he asked us to follow are all pointing towards this kind of life where it is about giving up yourself for the sake of others. Um, and so can I encourage you as we move into this Easter weekend and we're looking forward to Easter Sunday where we can continue this series about what this good life looks like and the resurrection and the life that that brings for us. Can I encourage you to, 
to really have a look at what life's looking like for you. Where are you putting your time and energy and your focus? What are you chasing after? What are those things you're trying to accumulate and surround yourself with that, that we believe are going to bring those things that we say are important, those, those things like peace and contentment and security? What, what are the things that we are chasing? And, and could I encourage you to, to look into the person of Jesus and, and read the scriptures, read the gospel accounts, read John chapter 9 and 10, read John chapter 1 like we have, the, have already this morning and, and just place yourself in that and just ask yourself this question, what would it look like if I was willing to take Jesus at his word and step into the kind of life that he not only lived and he's not only invited us into, but the kind of life he, he would say as our, as our creator is the best kind of life to live. So on this Good Friday, I, I ask you to consider that. And um, because we're all in isolation at the moment, we're going to have plenty of time just to, just to sit in that space. Um, and, and as you do, can I just encourage you to, to have the courage or the boldness to maybe make a couple of changes. Um, maybe think about some areas of life that aren't quite working well for you at the moment and ask yourself, what would it look like if I was to give rather than take in that situation? What would it look like if I was to serve rather than want to be served? What would it look like if I was to actually take Jesus at his word and see how that turns out? Let me pray for you. So Jesus, I thank you for the life you are inviting us into. I thank you for the way you not only lived your life in obedience to your father and you lived your life as one who served others, but you lived your life to the point of, of going to the cross and rising again so that we can be invited into this same kind of life. So I pray that as we think about this today, as we spend time this Easter, um, just pondering what it means to, to live the lives we're living and to step into the invitation you're, you're providing for us, I pray that we would have the courage to look at our lives honestly and accurately to have the sense that you are inviting us into something that is the best thing for us. And I pray that each of us would have the courage to make some shifts and some changes in these spaces so that the lives we are living can actually be lives that are full of life and lives that not only point others to you, but lives that, that help us serve and minister to those around us just like you have modelled for us. So we thank you for that and, and we just trust that you would be with us as we step into that in the name of Jesus. Amen.